Good morning. So glad to have you all here with us today. If you are visiting with us, we are in the middle of a series about the role of women, is how it's often phrased. I like to think of it more as a kingdom perspective on men and women, male and female. How do we understand this whole topic, this whole issue that we make of it, from a kingdom perspective, a kingdom of God perspective, a new creation perspective? Because that's what we do in church. We turn big picture things into issues. And when we're talking about issues, everybody can have difference of opinions and we can argue until we're blue on the face and we post something on Facebook and get into an argument in the comment section and nobody goes away happy. But I don't want to talk about issues today. In fact, I've been tasked with the idea of talking about the women that we see in Scripture. We're not talking issues. We're talking people. And there's a big difference. Church is weird. Now, this is coming from somebody who spent 30, over 32 years in church. I guess it was probably a bad sign that I was born on a Sunday morning, causing my parents to miss church the very first Sunday. So, I don't know. Maybe that's on me. But I've made up for it, I think. But church is weird. What other time throughout your day-to-day week do you gather with 80 to 120 or so other people and just sing? Who does that? At what other time during the week does anybody gather around a table to have a little cracker and a sip of juice? That's weird. And we call it the body and blood of somebody? That's really weird. Our relationship with each other is strange. You don't go into work and call your co-workers brother and sister, do you? Unless you work with your brother and sister, I don't know. It's weird, and it always has been weird. Church has always been weird. From the very beginning, Christians, those who followed Christ throughout the Roman Empire, were considered atheists because they didn't follow the gods of the Romans and the Greeks. People thought they were cannibals because of the, uh, the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. You're eating flesh and drinking blood, you bunch of cannibals? People thought the relationships that Christians had with each other was really weird because they would call each other brother and sister. What? What's going on in that group over there? Church is weird. We've normalized a lot of things. And when you normalize things, they become less weird. But as I've gone through my stint in the church, one thing I've always thought was weird that maybe shouldn't be normalized was why guys could do certain things that girls couldn't. I've always thought it was weird that I, as a man, could stand up here and take the communion trays and pass them, but a woman couldn't. Even though 
a woman could sit down and pass it to me. She couldn't stand and pass it to me? I've always thought that was weird. I've always thought it was weird, maybe a little off, that we could have Bible classes on the same day, same morning, same building, just, you know, 15 minutes in between. In my church, we had an actual bell. Anybody have a bell in your church growing up? Yeah, we had an actual bell that somebody, it was their job to ring that bell and let all the teachers know class was ended. Some of y'all think Tim needs that. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Just kidding. I do too. I've tried to get better about that. Teens can vouch for me too on that. Um, but I've always thought it was weird that we could have a Bible class where women were encouraged to participate in the reading of Scripture. They could offer insights on that scripture. They could add to the discussion. They could freely ask questions and give answers and have this really deep theological discussion in a class setting. But then a bell rings. You shift to a different part of the building. Fifteen minutes pass, and suddenly the rules change. I've always thought that was weird. There are some things that are weird that have been normalized and I think are fine. The Lord's Supper, the way we worship, and the way we, uh, the, the way we preach, the way we encourage each other, the way we relate to one another, those are all good things that seem weird to the outside world. But there are some things that, even from the inside, I've thought were weird. And so this morning, like I said, I've been tasked with the issue, with discussing what women actually did in the Bible. Women of faith. Because in my experience, so much of the discussion has focused on these verses. 1 Corinthians 14. This is Paul saying, Women should remain silent in the churches. They're not allowed to speak, but must be in submission, as the law says. First of all, nobody ever mentions, what law is he talking about? We have no idea. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home, for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in church. Okay, what church? <laughs> Are we talking Bible class church? Are we talking potluck church? Are we talking, you know, worship church? He makes no distinction here. We have to read into what he says. And when you have to read into what Paul is saying, you get into some trouble. And weird things start happening. But we also focus on this passage, 1 Timothy 2, 11 through 15. This is Paul talking to his, uh, his preaching protege, Timothy, who serves in Ephesus. And he gives this instruction, A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. To which I say, shouldn't we all? I do not permit a woman to teach or assume authority over a man. Jesus didn't permit us to assume authority over anybody either. She must be quiet, which he also says the men should be quiet too, like five verses earlier. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not the one deceived, it was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. But Adam was there with her, and Paul makes another point also to the Corinthian church and to the Roman church that it's the sin that entered through Adam. So what is he doing here? I don't know. But women will be saved through childbearing. Congratulations, ladies. If you have kids, you are in. <laughs> but what does that mean for the barren women? 
What does that mean for the couples that can't have children of their own? It'll be safe through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with propriety, which are all virtues we should strive for. When we start reading into this, what we assume Paul is trying to say, weird things happen and we make weird rules, like a woman can pass a tray while she's sitting, but not if she's standing. I've always thought that's weird. So, silence, quietness, humility, submission. These are not simply rules of attitudes and behavior to control women, as unfortunately they have been applied so frequently throughout our history. These are not simply rules for women. These are virtues that are to be embraced by all of God's people. By all of God's people. So today, as we look at what women in the Bible did, I wanted... Gosh, you can ask Caitlin. Like, I struggled with how to put this together because it's not because I'm scrounging for material. It's there's so much. How do I keep within a certain time frame? Because I could talk for hours about the amazing women in the Bible and the things that they did. But because there's a Super Bowl party and because you got to eat, I guess, lunch sometime, I decided I want to present this material about the women and honor them in a way that should sound familiar to some of us. And I hope I'm not overstepping my bounds. I don't think I am. You'll understand what I mean as I proceed. But I wanted to highlight the women in a way that would honor them, but also kind of move it, move it along a little bit too. So here we go. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command. So that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith, we understand that God created male and female in his own image. He blessed them and placed them in charge as co-rulers of creation. And it was very good. By faith, Eve though she was the first to fall prey to the deceiver's wicked schemes, was also the first to receive mercy from God and the grace to become mother of us all. By faith, Hagar, the dark-skinned African slave girl, when she had run away from her owners with her infant son, was rescued in the desert by God himself and became the first person to give God a name, El Royi, saying, I have seen the God who sees me. By faith, she raised her son under the blessing and protection of God, and her lineage produced a great nation as God had promised. By faith, Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. By faith, Miriam kept a watchful eye over her baby brother, daring to approach the princess and coming up with a plan to keep Moses in her family as long as possible. 
By faith, she became a great prophet and co-leader of her people alongside Moses and Aaron as God delivered them from slavery. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. By faith, Deborah, the great prophet and judge, routed the Canaanite army and freed her people from their oppression. By faith, Jael ended the life of the Canaanite general, thus ensuring victory for the Israelites. By faith, Ruth chose to leave her homeland and join her mother-in-law as a peasant in the land of Israel. By faith, she diligently worked, er, took care of Naomi, showing her honor and respect. By faith, this Moabite woman became the great-great-grandmother of King David. By faith, Hannah prayed fervently for a son, though she was barren. God answered her prayer, and by faith, she devoted her son Samuel to the service of the Lord. By faith, Abigail intervened to stop two powerful, foolhardy men from declaring all-out war. By faith, Huldah, the prophet, when asked by King Josiah about the book of the law found in the temple, gave a message from the Lord that would spark a religious revival for a generation. By faith, Esther became queen of Persia and risked her own life to save the lives of thousands of her countrymen. By faith, Mary, the young teenage peasant girl from Nazareth, became the mother of our Savior, Christ Jesus our Lord. By faith, all generations call her blessed because the Mighty One has done great things through her. By faith, Anna, the prophet, spent decades worshiping and praying in the temple until the day the Messiah appeared. By faith, she told everyone who would listen about the baby Jesus, the Messiah, God's son. By faith, Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus, chose to be counted among Jesus' disciples rather than conform to the expectations of women in her day. She was commended by Jesus for choosing the most important thing, the only thing that matters. By faith, Mary Magdalene, on the first day of the week, discovered the empty tomb, took the good news about the resurrection to the other disciples, and was the first person to have a personal encounter with the resurrected Lord. By faith, Lydia, a businesswoman and leader of the Jewish synagogue in Philippi, became the first Greek convert. By faith, Priscilla formed a preaching team with her husband, Aquila, spreading the gospel of Christ across the Roman Empire. By faith, she taught the way of the Lord more accurately to Apollos, who would also become an influential and respected preacher. By faith, Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Sincrea, and a wealthy benefactor of Paul's ministry, was entrusted with the task of delivering, reading, and explaining Paul's letter to the church in Rome. By faith, Junia was considered outstanding among the apostles, risking her own life and safety to spread the gospel throughout the empire alongside her husband and Paul. And what more shall I say? 
I don't have time to talk to tell about Joanna, Susanna, Philip's daughters, Chloe, Euodia, Syntyche, Trephenna and Trephosa, Julia, Persis, Tabitha, or Eunice and Lois. By faith, these women and more were considered co-laborers for the Lord alongside Paul, Timothy, Silas, and Barnabas. They preached and prayed and prophesied. They planted churches and hosted churches in their homes. They were evangelists and teachers and deacons and missionaries. They were financial supporters of Jesus and of Paul. They were counted among the disciples on the day of Pentecost and received the same outpouring of the Spirit that allowed them all to preach in various languages to the thousands gathered in Jerusalem that day. Jesus. Jesus healed women, respected women, engaged in deep theological conversations with women, and commended women for their faith. Jesus invited women into his inner circle of disciples and declared that all his female followers were his sisters. Women were the heroes in his parables. He first revealed his true identity as Messiah to a Samaritan woman. His first miracle was performed at the request of his mother. The Canaanite woman was the only person clever enough to understand one of Jesus' parables at the first telling. And it was the women who were entrusted with taking the news of Jesus' resurrection to the rest of the disciples. Matthew went out of his way to highlight five women in the lineage of Jesus. Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, Bathsheba, and Mary. From the beginning, women were created alongside men as equals. Both are bearers of the Imago Dei, the image of God. Both are blessed to be fruitful and multiply, to fill the earth and subdue it, and to rule over all of creation as God's ambassadors. Are you still with me? Clap once if you are. Yeah, it was weak. Clap once if you are. There we go. Good. Now that everybody's awake, maybe you zoned out a little bit there. The Bible is full of women who said and did amazing things by faith. It's full of them. You can spend hours talking about all those women I just referenced. We don't have hours. Thankfully, somebody thought ahead, and in your bulletin insert, you'll find scriptural references for, for most of these women so that you can read their stories more fully. Because if we're not careful, we can overlook and ignore these women just as men have been doing for centuries. When I was having this discussion with Caitlin, you know, this, this has been an ongoing thing for, for me, for us, for a long time. 
And as I'm studying more, as I'm learning more, we're having this conversation, and I remember her asking, like, how have we missed it? How could we have gotten it so wrong? To which I respond, because it's been men doing the study. Because it's been power-hungry men who conform to the expectations of their culture that men are the leaders, that men are head, and that women are subjected underneath women. Just like that prayer that was mentioned, I believe it was David that mentioned it, that there was a prayer that Jewish men would pray. I, I praise you and give you thanks, God, that I was not born a Gentile. I praise you and give you thanks, God, that I was not born a slave. I praise you and I thank you, God, that I was not born a woman. The only time I, well, not the only time, but one of the times I feel so thankful to not be a woman is when I have to follow my wife into the makeup section at Walmart. Seriously? That it, mm. How could we have gotten it so wrong? Because women have been excluded for so long. Because we have ignored the call to teach women to answer their questions, to help them learn, to educate them. To what end? Just so that they can know more? No, so that they can make an impact in the kingdom of God right alongside their male co-workers. But it's been men who have conformed to the patriarchal expectations that the woman's place is in the home and it's the men's job to understand the difficult things of Scripture. But when I look at Scripture, I don't ignore these women. These women who were every bit as clever and faithful as the men. Those women who had greater understanding and greater faith than even Jesus' closest disciples. If we're not careful, we can overlook and ignore these women just as men have been doing for centuries. But God is the God who sees. May we all see with his eyes. One passage has been really pivotal for me over the course of my ministry to kind of keep me in check, to keep me in line and doing what I need to be doing is this, Paul's encouragement and instruction in Ephesians 4, verses 11 through 13. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Love that passage, because that's my job description right there. But it also makes me wonder, were there female apostles? To which you might be like, obviously not. Well, there was Junia, who was considered outstanding among the apostles. Plus, there's also the effect the apostle, as a word, simply means one who is sent. In other words, a missionary, somebody on a mission, that's an apostle. Were there female apostles? Yeah. Female evangelists? Yeah. Female prophets? Yeah. Female pastors? That, some of y'all might be like, whoa, wait a second. That word pastor means shepherd. We don't have an example of any male pastors either in the Bible. The closest we get is people who ran the house churches. 
Were there women running house churches? Yeah. Were there female teachers? Yeah. Did women work to build up and equip the church? Yeah. And who is it that calls people to these tasks? Christ. It's Christ who calls people. Who are we to fight against what Christ might have called somebody else to? Sometimes I feel like Jeremiah. No, I'm not depressed. I'm not the weeping prophet. Not all of Jeremiah, but particularly this passage. Jeremiah 20, verse 9. But if I say, I will not mention his word or speak any more in his name, his word is in my heart like a fire, a fire shut up in my bones, and I am weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. For me, this isn't a choice to be doing what I'm doing. It's following a calling and an urging on my life from God. I can't help but to do this. I believe I've been called by God to ministry. That is in no way bragging. Some of you are called to teaching. Some of you are called to engineering. Some of you are called to being stay-at-home moms. God calls people to tasks. I believe I've been called by God to ministry. And to do any other thing would be to go against God's will for my life. I could call it quits and, you know, find another job. But for me, this isn't a job. It's a calling. It's God's will. I feel like Jeremiah. But then that got me wondering. <laughs> Yet we expect the women who are also called and gifted to sit back and hold it in like a fire inside their bones. I'll be honest with you. I was going to do something different today, like drastically different. You know, Caitlin, you asked Tim, wiser people than I. When I shared what I was going to do, they were like, mm, maybe not. <laughs> because I was going to have just this up here. Like just the slides. I wasn't going to speak a word out of solidarity for my fellow female co-workers who have been told to sit down and be quiet their whole lives. But when I said that I was going to be silent, other people said, no, you, you, you need to speak so that people can hear you. And yet we have so many gifted, talented, and called women among our midst, not just this church, but across the globe, who feel called, who feel the desire to speak out, who feel the desire to teach, and are told to be silent. The complete opposite happens to them. It's weird. It's weird. Weird things happen when we read into these passages from Paul. Just two of them. Two. I've mentioned, I don't even, I lost count of how many women I mentioned this morning. And that wasn't even all of them. Versus two passages. We must ask ourselves, are we living under the curse of the fall? Plagued by power structure, struggles, pain, oppression, dominance, and sin? Or are we living as members of the new creation, the kingdom of God, that looks at the way things were intended as they were originally created in Genesis 1 and 2, male and female, as equals, created in God's image, 
that propels us forward into a future where there is no longer male and female, for we are all one in Christ. Which world are we living in, the fallen one or the new creation? If we are followers of Christ, I believe we are living under the new creation. Matthew chapter 12, Jesus says this, For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Paul, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. Galatians 6, 15, Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. By the way, side note, I wasn't going to mention much about circumcision because, yikes. What's popping here? But I do want to mention this. Paul, why does Paul harp so much on circumcision versus uncircumcision? Well, here's a, here's a little thing to consider. Who could be circumcised? Only the men. Who could be baptized? Everyone. Baptism to Paul. What is happening here? Sorry, y'all. Just a moment. Let's try this instead. Baptism to Paul is the new circumcision. And where circumcision was gender exclusive, circ- uh, the new creation that starts at baptism is open to everyone. Circumcision or uncircumcision means nothing. What counts is the new creation, which I argue was inaugurated at Christ's own baptism where he goes into the waters, where the voice of God says, this is my beloved son, whom I love, and the Spirit of God descends on him. That is new creation beginning right there. What counts is new creation. Galatians 3.28, There is neither Jew or Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 5.21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. He's specifically addressing men and women there. Submit to one another. 1 Corinthians 11, verses 11 and 12, Nevertheless, the Lord, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. For as woman came from man, so also man is born of woman, but everything comes from God. To in any way, shape, or form, declare that anybody is lesser based on their gender is living under the old, fallen, broken creation that Christ came to redeem. Everything comes from the Lord. The only thing that matters is new creation. And in new creation, there's neither male or female. You're all one in Christ. These women, some people will look at them and say they're the exception to the rule. These women of faith who serve and lead God's people are not the exception to the rule. They are the exceptions that prove the rule of equality. They are the ones that, they are the exceptions that prove the rule. And this is the rule. God calls people according to their faithfulness, their gifts, and their willingness to serve, not according to their gender, ethnicity, or socioeconomic status. 
to say anything otherwise is buying into the lie of the deceiver. It's living under old creation. God calls people according to their faithfulness, their gifts, and their willingness to serve. And now, a blessing as we close. A blessing. May we all, like Eve, receive mercy and grace from God, knowing that our past failures do not have to define us. May we all, like Hagar, see the God who sees us at our weakest and lowest moments. May we all, like Deborah, courageously face whatever battles God calls us to, no matter who else is with us. May we all, like Rahab, put our trust in God rather than our own culture and society. May we all, like Huldah, speak truth about the word of God, calling our community to revival. May we all, like Mary, choose to sit at the feet of our master rather than succumb to the busyness of life. May we all, like Mary Magdalene, boldly proclaim the resurrection of our Lord to whomever will listen. May we all, like Priscilla, be willing to teach the whole truth in order to correct falsehood or incompleteness. And may we all, like Fanny J. Crosby, make the worship of our God the highest calling, no matter what challenges we face. To reiterate what Tim had already said, all the hymns this morning were written by a blind female teacher and poet from New York who wrote more than 9,000 hymns in her lifetime. Whether we like it or not, she has been teaching and inspiring us in worship for 150 years. This is what she said. <laughs> this is what she said. This is that quote that um, he referenced about her not wanting to have her sight back. This is the end of that. When I get to heaven... The first face that shall ever gladden my sight will be that of my Savior. That's why so many of her songs end with the hope of heaven, the hope of eternal life. So powerful. And I'm going to throw one in there, just an audible. May we all, like Anna Souders, care enough about our community to start a whole thing on social media. And may we all show our support by coming out at 2 o'clock today to, at the mural down on 6th and Main. Be there. Give the care about your community to do something about it, to help it in a real powerful way. Going back to those verses we started with, may we all learn in quietness and submission, not assuming authority over each other, but serving one another in love. May we all find answers to our questions and continue those religious discussions in our homes. And may we all be men and women of faith, of whom the world is not worthy. And may God never be ashamed to be called our God. Let's stand as we sing together.